You're listening to Men of Abundance, episode 202, with Joe Martin. How well are you connecting with the men in your life? Welcome to Men of Abundance, the podcast for those looking to level up their lives by hanging out with some of the greatest leaders and established professionals in our community, living a life of integrity, honor, and the abundance mentality. Prepare to pay it forward with your host, former army medic turned lifestyle entrepreneur, Wally Carmichael. What's up, what's up, Men of Abundance? I am Wally Carmichael, your founder and host of the Men of Abundance podcast. And as you can probably tell, I'm still missing a tooth. (laughs) So I'm going to keep this a little bit short. It's funny. I don't mind it. But I don't know um, how it's going to come off very well. The last episode wasn't too bad. But um, anyhow, I just want to get right into the show. I'm going to be getting my flipper tomorrow. It's going to give me a little bit of a tooth back, at least a temporary tooth, until I get my implant put in. But that's going to take about eight months. I don't know if you know how that process works, but goodness gracious, I had no idea. Anyhow, I'll get my flipper in tomorrow so I can talk right and uh, won't look so much like a redneck, a toothless redneck. (laughs) I'm stereotyping, but anyhow, it's a lot of fun. But listen, the uh, conversation that we're having today about connecting, there's a lot of information. We don't just talk about connecting. We talk about a lot of other stuff. But I just think it's so important for you to connect with your kids, connect with your spouse, and, and just connect with men in your community so that we can be a much better community wherever it is that you live in the world. And that's the conversation that Joe and I have today. And speaking of connecting, as you know, You know, it's amazing to be able to connect other men to men of abundance. Just the ability. Every time I have a conversation and people ask, you know, what do you do? What I ask is I ask people, what do you do to contribute to humanity? And that kind of makes people kind of stop in their tracks like, I don't know, what do I do? Well, whatever it is you do is contributing to humanity as long as it's in a positive manner. But what I tell people is, you know, I'm a podcast host and I'm a business and marketing strategist. Uh, I'm a retired army medic. It depends on the conversation, who I'm talking to, and what conversation I really feel like getting into at that point in time. But I just absolutely love the part when when they ask, what is Men of Abundance? And I get an opportunity to explain what it is. And I do it very briefly. I could tell the long story, the short story, but you guys know, most of you guys know what the story is. But I just say, look, it's a, it's a, it's a podcast where I talk to mostly men. I talk to women as well, but I talk to mostly men about living a life of abundance and somehow paying it forward to the community and to the world. And we talk about this kick in the gut moment that everybody has. And that's where a lot of people, you know, just know that they got kicked in the gut and what they did with that experience. Sometimes I have that conversation. Other times I just say, hey, look, it's just a really cool podcast where men are connecting, we're getting together, we're telling our story, we're sharing ideas, and you can check it out on iTunes, on Stitcher, or at menofabundance.com. Go check it out. And that's basically it. And that's what I would like for you to do. Just share Men of Abundance with other people in your community because women are getting into this too. Women are listening to Men of Abundance, about 40% of the listeners. They're getting a lot out of it. They're using it in their relationships. They're introducing their men, the men in their lives to men of abundance, which is super humbling for that to happen. So if you would, 
connect with other men in your community, and share Men of Abundance with them. If anything, use it as a conversation starter. All right, so let me briefly introduce you to our future guest today. Dr. Joe Martin is an award-winning international speaker, author, educator, and certified man-builder. He's authored or co-authored nine books, including Are You the Man? 201 Lessons I Wish My Dad Would Have Taught Me, The Real Man Spiritual Leader Blueprint, and Gifts and Handkerchiefs. A Lesson in Servant Leadership. Joe has spoken for more than 750 businesses, organ- <laughs> I'm having a hard time saying all these words, organizations, churches, colleges, and universities. And he was voted National Speaker of the Year by the Association for the Promotion of Campus Activities. He's also the host of Real Men Connect, the number one top-rated radio podcast on iTunes for Christian men. Men of Abundance, it is my pleasure to introduce you to Joe Martin. Joe, welcome to Men of Abundance, brother. How you doing? I'm doing fantastic, Wally. Excellent. Where are you at in the world? Well, I'm in Chattanooga, Tennessee today, and I'm headed to um, New Hampshire tomorrow. New Hampshire, New Hampshire. And we were talking pre-show. You're going out there to speak in New Hampshire. What are you going to be speaking about? Well, I'm actually going to be speaking to uh, an education audience. Typically, I, I speak to men's groups. And I go to a lot of large men's conferences, but this one is going to be a bunch of high school students from um, from the state of New Hampshire, their state conference. And I've been speaking there for a few years, so I'm excited about returning there. So I'm going to talk to about approximately about 500 um, high school um, juniors and seniors. Dude, that is super exciting, man. I love that. You know, speaking to prof- professionals and talking to professionals all the time is just it's it's fun and it's great and I always learn something new every time I'm having these conversations with with guys like yourself and many others but man to have the opportunity to talk to our children to talk to the youth is just super man that's amazing and I think yeah, I tell it. I, I tell people all the time that, that working with youth you know my background is in education and so I've been around um, kids for um, the last two and a half decades but I tell you if anything about working with youth it lets you know if you're any good I tell you that mm. <laughs> Mm. They do not hide their emotions, mm. man. <laughs> man. Ain't that the truth? That is so so true, man. And that and your and it's always that people always say it's hard to talk to your peers, but yeah, it's got to be harder to stand in front of a group of Boy Scouts <laughs> and and high school students, man, because they really will let you know if you're any good. That's awesome. You know, you know in this day and age too, with so many things competing for their attention, mm-hmm. and so mm-hmm. it's it's pretty. It's you have to be really on point and know how to connect with them immediately or they'll zone out and tune out on you quickly. Yeah, absolutely. That's a whole other conversation right there in itself, too, because, yeah, you're right. I mean, everything has got their attention from their biggest thing is video and and it's, it's super entertaining. They're always they're used to being entertained all day, right. every day. So right. you better bring it. Yeah, so that's awesome, man. So before we get too much into our conversation, I'd like to start out with an attitude of gratitude. What do you have to be grateful for today, Joe? Well, I tell people the biggest thing that I'm, I'm grateful for typically is the fact that I get to get up every morning uh, without an alarm clock to do what I love to do and get paid for it. <laughs> so, <laughs> I, I don't think there's anything bigger blessing than that than doing God's work and you're actually getting paid to do it. And you just stop and pause sometimes. I can't believe people pay me to do this. I would do this free. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. But we don't. And because uh, <laughs> we got to pay the right. bills, man. It's funny you say that because I was literally just having a conversation with a guy on on um, Facebook messaging. And we've been talking for a little while and he asked me uh, what I do. And I gave him, kind of gave him my 
my spill of a lot of the stuff that I'm involved in and things I do. And his exact comment was, well, you're like Jesus. And I don't take, I don't like that comment. I don't, I, and I told him so. And I said, look, you know, I don't play around with that, that comment right there because, um, and he said, you know, lighten up a little bit. I said, yeah, there's a time to lighten up and there's a time not to, but it is God's work. Um, mm-hmm. and I'm not, I just don't like put be to be compared with that with Jesus at all in any way, shape, or form. It's just not cool. But for me, this is my personal belief anyway. But it is God's work, and everything is God's work. Everything from, uh, and I'm not saying this to lineate it in any way, but everybody from the janitor at the school to the top to the dean of the school, for instance, is it's all God's work to the pastor to the everybody it's all God's work because we all have that that um calling and whatever it is do it and do it to the best of your ability and I applaud you for doing that man and it's so awesome that you're able to do that every day and get paid for it yeah and I appreciate that you know Dr. Martin Luther King um said I'm actually going to be speaking at a another conference in a couple of weeks in Memphis Tennessee commemorating um um, his death um the assassination of Martin Luther King but Mm -hmm. he had a great quote that goes in line with what you just said Wally he says Everybody can be great because everybody can serve. Mm-hmm. And so the fact is, like you said, whether you're um, mopping floors or you're painting Picasso paint uh, 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 replications of Picasso's paintings, you can always be great if you choose to serve. And to me, that's what I believe I'm, I'm most thankful for, that I get the chance to work and serve doing God's work and can make a living doing it. It's just wonderful. Yeah, absolutely. And we're going to get more into that because that's a lot of what your work is specifically is around service and um, we're going to get more into that in just a minute. But even before we do that, how would you describe yourself? Uh, I would st- describe myself the way most people would describe me because I'd spent so much time in education. Uh, I have a lot of students who um, are still in contact with me. And what they tell me they uh, remember most about me and this is how they would describe me is um, passionate. I'm a very passionate person. And, that pro- and people who are listening who may have heard me speak somewhere before, they said, man, that's an understatement. They say, this guy always on like this? No, I'm just passionate about what I do, and I love what I do and the impact that I can make on people. So I would say I would describe myself as being passionate, a very passionate person. Yeah, absolutely, and I get that. I get that from the short time that I've gotten to know you because when you were introduced to me, um, I, you know, I, of course, look at the one sheets, and I look at all the information, look at the bio, look at the websites, look at what you've put out there. You've got, you know, what is it, nine books that you've got out there? Well, at least um, either co-authored yeah. or author about nine books. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, so much going on. And, and I mean, man, if you got that much content out there, you got to be super passionate about what you're doing. Because, guys, if you've never created any sort of content, any any book, blog, podcast, or anything of that nature, um, just know that so much time and research and heart and, and long nights goes into this type of stuff. So... Uh, and it's quality. It's very good information. I really dig um, looking through it. So, uh, And while you know, yeah. you're absolutely right, and I'm glad you share that with the audience because they have no idea the kind of work that goes behind the scenes to get content out like what you're doing right now with your podcast. And what scares people about me because uh, I'm a prolific writer. I've written a lot of books. I've written over 100 and something articles on our own blog, and I write for other publications. And I put out a lot of content over 100 and something um, man training videos and stuff like that. And here's what's scary. I tell people, I say, I still have more content on my computer that's out in the world, (laughs) which is scary when you think (laughs) about that. Because I got a lot of content out there. 
but it has it's, I haven't even scratched the service based on the amount of content I still have on my computer that I haven't even released yet. Yeah, so um, you know what, Joe? This is one of those points where it, the, our conversation will take a little bit of a turn off of the regular you know, script and show flow and stuff like that because I want you to elaborate on that a little bit, if you would, since you have so much experience in this because what you just said, that you have so much content sitting on your computer, but you have content out there and a lot of it. There are guys that are listening to this right now that have content on their computer and are afraid to push the button and get yeah. it out in a content in in a, in a podcast in a blog in an email to an employer or even or even a written note that they want to give to that someone that they've been wanting to connect with, whether it's professional or personal. What do you say to that? Well, I understand because I, I work um, with having worked with students and now working with men. And it seems like every other person I meet has a book in them. And mm-hmm. I think everybody actually has a book in them if they wanted to do it. But what I see is that they have a fear of rejection. They have a fear of people judging their content and their material. Because whatever you write, whatever you put out there, somebody's not going to like it. It's just got to accept the fact that somebody's going to disagree with it. And that's okay. So what I would tell someone who um, is a little bit reluctant about putting their information out there is that if you do not put out there, you're dying. You That greatness stays within you, and you're going to take that greatness to your grave with you. And it's not going to benefit anybody if you take your greatness to the grave with you. So my thing is just put it out there um, because no matter – even if you get people who don't like it, there, there's always going to be somebody who does like it, and it really makes an impact on their life. And and you know this, Wally, because I'm sure you get emails and, and people sending you stuff about things they've heard that you've done, and, and you say, wow, they like that? <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. that, that really yeah. made an impact because it shocks us because we're thinking, okay, mm-hmm. we want to get it out there. But you, but that still that self consciousness, that doubt, kind of seeps in. And when is this really impactful? Is it really going to make a difference? And it seems like there's always a person who will email you, text you, call you, and say thank you for putting that out there. So my message to them is: do not take your greatness to the grave with you. Yeah, absolutely. You know, you have the curse of knowledge, guys. You have knowledge that other people are seeking, that other people want, and you don't even realize it. And the other part of what Joe just said that I'll elaborate on is that not only should you create, you know, he said you might be worried about what other people are not going to like what you put out there. Here's the thing. You want to put stuff out there that other people are not going to like. Right. <laughs> right. Because if you're putting stuff out there that everybody likes, nobody's going to read it. <laughs> it's just not. And, it, you know, as I go back to the old Eminem thing, you know, it, it, there's people that don't like him that talk about him that mm-hmm. propel his his career, quite frankly, because they give him free publicity. I'm not saying you're looking for the free publicity, but you have to talk to a specific audience. And in order to talk to a specific audience, there's another group of people who are not going to like what you have to talk about. And that's going to benefit you as well. So don't worry about that. The fact of the matter is people are not going to like what you put out. But there's a large group of people out there who are seeking and looking for and waiting for what you have to share. You know, and Wally, what I tell my college students when I used to um, be a professor I always tell them, I say, you know, some people are going to like you. Some people are not going to like you. I said, but here's the thing. They're going to always talk about you. At least give them something to talk about. <laughs> so give <laughs> exactly. them something there so they will talk about. So at least you're in the, in the discussion. So yeah. give them something to talk about. Yeah, exactly. And especially if you're out there doing something that you're trying to, uh, you've got a message to share, whether you're trying to make money with the message eventually or not. You've got a message in you. You've got a book in you. Get the information out there. If anything, write your book. And, and read it and give it to somebody else to read. Just write your book. 
and and then see what happens after that that's that's one of the advice that i've been given many times um before is just to write your book because everybody's got a book in them you know people always ask me because i work with um speakers authors and coaches and consultants of how to get their content out there because they see how much content i put out there and you know the, and the crazy thing about it while my content is not like going viral and millions and millions of people it doesn't matter. The point is, it's not in me. I put it out there in, in the world. But when they ask me about it, they say, Joe, what's the toughest thing about um, writing a book? You know, I, I, say, I say, you sure you really want to know? They say, yeah. I said, writing the book, just mm-hmm. doing it mm-hmm. and just getting out and taking that first step. I said, taking it from your head and putting it onto the paper, because most of that stuff we have in us stays in us and it never sees the day of light and it never gets on paper. Yeah, yeah. So many people get caught up in, and I did too, get caught up in the whole, oh, okay, so how do I publish? How do I find a publisher? Well, don't worry about that kind of stuff, guys. Don't no. don't even get, that's not, that's later. That can be coached. That can be, uh, right. you can write a check to have, to make that happen. Right. It's, a, it's the creativeness of it. And it's the actual getting up at four o'clock in the morning before everybody else gets up, writing for an hour every single day. That's just one of many techniques that I know that Absolutely. many writers have used. Absolutely. You know, and, I, and I'll share this with you, too, Wally, that um, I've done several books. I tell you, I've lost count and none of my books have made it to a bestseller list or anything like that. But I love getting my content out. And I tell I say the book I wrote the fastest, I think I wrote that book in two and a half weeks. Mm. That's how fast it <laughs> just knocked it out. It was doing a spring break and I had an extra week left and I knocked out a book. And they were like, you wrote that book in two and a half weeks. Mm-hmm. And that was one of our it wasn't a bestseller, but it was one of our best selling books mm-hmm. that I wrote. Because I took it out, got it out of my head and out of my heart, and I put it on paper. Now, here's the funny thing about it, Wally, going along with what you just said. It had been sitting in me for about seven years. Oh, my God. And it only took me two and a half yeah. weeks to write it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I, so I should have written it seven years prior to that. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, man, I mean, goodness, we're, I, I dig this topic because I know so many people out there, I get – same as you, I get all these conversations and so many guys are like, well, how do I do this? How do I do that? Look, there's a lot of ways out there to do it, guys. Number one is just take action. I can give you step Absolutely. by step by step. And none of that's going to make a bit of a difference on no matter what it is you're trying to do. But taking that one word action is extremely important, even if it's just a small little step. So we're going to transition here, Joe. And that is, um, you know, anybody who's done anything in life other than sit on the couch and watch the tube, uh, have kick in the gut moments and even them even they have kick in the gut moments that that occur around them and they may or may not react to it but those of us who are moving forward trying to you know do things for the world and our communities and other people we have these kick in the gut moments and sometimes they define us sometimes they you know propel us to a new career sometimes they put us into a new relationship and sometimes unfortunately they keep us down and I, that's one of the most terrible things I hate to see that I really dislike seeing is a, a man that's been kicked down and stays down. So if you would, share one of those kick in the gut moments with us and really make us feel that. Well, um, I have a lot of several kick in the gut moments, but I'll start at the earliest one that changed the course of my life. Um, I didn't mention anything to the listeners about my background. I grew up in one of the toughest projects in inner city ghettos in Miami, Florida, in a place called Liberty City. And if, they, if their name sounds familiar, Liberty City, um, unfortunately, we're famous for a lot of things. Um, some were race riots that we had when I was a kid. But the biggest thing we're now most famous for is that they made a, a, 
a video game after our city in Grand Theft Auto. I was going to say, <laughs> so, yeah, that did stuff. Uh, so, yeah. they, you know, they based it on our city. But the, my kick in the gut moment um, happened when I was growing up in the projects um, because my mom was a teenage mother, had me at the age of 16. My dad left when I was only two. And so um, we had pretty hard times. I mean, we were really poor. Um, matter of fact, that my, we were so poor that my younger sister used to steal food just to um, feed us. And so the kick in the gut moment um, happened when I was being bused from um, Liberty City to North Miami. Now, I have to put this in context for you that um, Liberty City is a huge inner city ghetto. That's why they made a video game after. I mean, there's five high schools and two malls. I didn't meet a white child till I was 12. That's when they were busing me to a predominantly white school. And I didn't even know we had South Beach in Miami until I went off to college. That's how isolated my life was. So I'm giving you some context here. Wow. So um, I had not met a white child at this time, and I was getting ready to go to the seventh grade. And so they were integrating the schools, and they bussed us to North Miami, to Thomas Jefferson um, Middle School. And I was really excited. I couldn't even go to sleep the night before, not realizing I was getting ready to get that kick in the gut. Well, I get to the school, and it seemed like it took forever to get there. And it's only like maybe seven miles away, but it seemed like it was forever. And so we get to the school, and I'm, I'm all excited. I get to meet white people for the first time, <laughs> all this stuff. I'm only 12. And I realized something when I walked through the doors of Thomas Jefferson Middle School. It was also this was a kick in the gut. It was the first time I realized that we were poor. And some people think that's strange because they say, how could you um, live in a hood and not know you were poor? Because I was so isolated, I always lived around poor people. I just assumed everybody that we were all in the same economic situation. So I didn't know it was classified as being poor. I just thought most people didn't have anything. And only people who had stuff was on television. So I get into this school and I'm watching. I'm looking. And it was very diverse because they're busting all these kids in. So I'm seeing white kids, black kids, Nicaraguan kids, um, Jewish kids, Latino kids. You name it. We had it's like the Rainbow Coalition. But I'm watching and I'm hearing the conversations that are going on in my school, and they're saying things that I can't even relate to. Like um, they had their own room with a door on it and everything, right? Because <laughs> I'm used to living. Um, I'm sorry about that. I'm used to living. Um, in a, you know, a small confined place. So the thing is, I'm not used to having my own um, space. And so they're talking about stuff like that. And they're mentioning that they have a, uh, something called a microwave where they can put food <laughs> in, <laughs> in there and cook it instantly. So all these things are going over my head and I'm really starting to question now my reality and questioning um, what's going on with my life. So the rest of that day, I was really depressed because here I am, thinking, wow, my mom's been withholding all this information from me, and I was really depressed. So that was the kick in the gut, but watch what happens. I go home, my mom is home, and she sees me a little bit distraught, and she sees that I'm crying, that I've been crying. She says, baby, what's wrong? I said, mama, why didn't you tell me? And she said, why didn't I tell you what? I said, why didn't you tell me that we were poor? And my mom actually thought it was kind of cute that her son didn't know we were poor. She said, baby, you didn't know we were poor? She said, I said, no, mama, I said, I didn't know. I said, but yet I go to this school and I see black kids, white kids, Asian kids, Latino kids, Haitian kids, Jamaican kids, all have more than what we have. And I asked my mom this question and it changed my life. I said, mama, why are we so poor? And my mom bowed her head and I thought it was in shame, but I later realized she was praying. But she bowed her head and I thought she was embarrassed to, to face me. But then she put her head back up and she looked at me and she says, baby, um, I don't know why we're poor but it could have been something that i did or i didn't do now if your listeners are listening to this they probably missed the kick in the stomach the kick in the stomach was the pronoun that my mom used wally 
She said it could have been something that I did or didn't do. She used the word I. Mm-hmm. Now, why was that so important? Now, mm-hmm. I didn't understand it at the moment, but it made a huge difference later on in my life because what she could have said that she didn't say. She didn't say, Joe, the reason why we're poor is because your dad left. And I was a teenager with two kids when I was still in high school. So I had to drop out to take care of you. She could have said that. She could have said, Joe, um, if you see my last paycheck, they're taking too much money in my paycheck and I can't afford to live on this and take care of two kids. She didn't say that. She didn't say the fact that her mom died when she was 12 years old. Um, and so she was raised without a mom to know how to take care of children. She didn't say that. She didn't try to blame it on the community or politics or the white man or whatever. She didn't point the finger at anyone but herself. And she told me this. She says, baby, I know that this doesn't make sense to you, but don't you ever accept this as acceptable. Never accept the unacceptable. She said, Joe, there's a lot of people who walk around in our community, including myself. And here she is owning again, including myself, who never question our reality. We don't walk around asking why we poor. But she said every once in a while, some kid like you grow up here in this hood and they go around questioning what they see. And son, I'm telling you, never stop asking questions and never start looking for answers. But don't you ever settle for this. Never accept the unacceptable. Now, the reason why that was so powerful for me, Wally, is because anyone who knows me now that my motto, I have a vanity tag on the back of my car and the word is no excuse. And that's now I'm almost getting ready to turn 50 years old. And I still use that model ever since I was 12 years old. No excuse. And it's changed my life around for becoming the youngest professor ever hired to teach in the state of Florida at the age of 24. Having my Ph.D. before I was 30 years old. Um, Started my first business at the age of 22. You heard about writing all those different books and getting to travel all over the world, training teachers, working with men and reaching probably over 1.6 million kids across this country having my own radio show, my own television show, appearing on a lot of different networks and everything, all because I believe what my mom told me that day, that I don't have to accept the unacceptable and make no excuse for my own failures. Wow, Joe. Man, that's that one's touching. That one's touching. Seriously, that's amazing. Your mom's an amazing person for, for sure. Uh, huge message there, guys. I don't have to elaborate on that at all. You get it. I know you do. Um, you're going to have an opportunity to get in on this conversation in the Men of Abundance community. So I'd love for you to weigh in on, on some of that right there. But, Joe, seriously, thanks for sharing that, man. Oh, no problem. I mean, I'm telling you, it, it's, it was uh, the bit made the biggest impact on me as a child because I was looking for answers. And what I realized, and this is really what I want the listeners to, to understand. Do you know if my mom, Wally, would have used one excuse mm-hmm. for why we were poor? I would have probably used that excuse for the rest of my life. Of course. And it would have helped me back for the rest of my life. But because she said it and I was 12 and up, 12 years old and young enough to believe that what my mom's saying is the truth. She told me never make excuses. Now, here's the, the funny thing about it, Wally. My mom made many excuses before that moment. So I tell my mom it wasn't the greatest parent in the world, but she had one great moment that reshaped the course of my life. And because of that, my younger sister, who I told you used to steal food just so we could eat, became the first doctor in our family. So while he put that in context now, here's my mom, a high school dropout with two children, a single mom, and she produces the youngest professor in the state of Florida at the age of 24, and she produces a doctor in her family. Two kids, two kids, because she told us never make excuses, even though she didn't follow her own advice. Yet there are other kids your age, there are other, there are other people your age still living in that same part of town. Absolutely. I know this because I'm the same way. 
some of the guys know my background. I grew up in a in a not so um, in a not so great area as well in Southwest Phoenix, and some of the guys are still back there, but many of yeah. them moved on doing great things, you know. But yeah, it's it's it all goes back to guys. What we're talking about here is that that self talk and words matter. Words seriously matter, and if that story right there doesn't prove it to you, then I don't know what else I can tell you, man. So, Joe, what was the enough is enough moment? At what point for you in your life um, did things start to shift uh, <laughs> economically, uh, spiritually, education-wise? How did that all come about? Well, I'm laughing now because I remember exactly when enough was enough for me. It's actually when I went off to college. Um, again, to give, you, to give the audience some context to this, I was the first person in my family to graduate from high school. First and I'm talking about, forget about going to college the first to graduate from high school. Yeah, me too. <laughs> yeah. And so in our neighborhood, I tell you, they were busting us out in the year that I was graduating from North Miami Senior High School. We had about maybe 40 kids in our area who was supposed to graduate as graduating seniors. I was the only one who graduated on time and I barely mm. graduated. But um, the enough uh, enough was enough moment was I never thought I'd go to college because I didn't think I was smart enough because I barely graduated from high school with a 2.2 GPA. And I had very low SAT scores. So my thought was join the military. But when I decided I was going to join the military and I had talked to a recruiter, I noticed that some of my white friends, because none of my black friends were going to college, I noticed some of my white friends, I would ask them, well, what are you going to do after high school? And they said they're going to college. And Wally, what I couldn't understand is that I knew my friends. And I'm thinking, they're not even that smart. right? <laughs> I'm like, how are they going to college? And Wally, this is so embarrassing, but this... <laughs> I tell people want to know why I went to college. And usually you get people answers like, oh, you know, because I wanted to make a difference and I wanted to um, reach my full potential. No, let me tell you the reason why I decided to go to college. I had this deductive reasoning that was crazy. I said, wait a minute. All my friends, my white friends are going to college and none of them are smart. Okay, I said, wait a minute. Now, I'm dumb and they're dumb, but they're dumb and they're going to college. Maybe I'm dumb enough to go to college, too. That's That was my <laughs> rationale, right? I'm telling you the truth, It makes man. sense to me, man. I thought that, that made perfect sense to me. I said, maybe I just might be dumb enough to go to college. Mm -hmm. So I went to my recruiter and told him that I changed my mind about joining the Navy. And I said, man, I, want, I think I want to go to college. And he tried to talk me out of it. This one enough became enough. Right. He said, Joe, I wouldn't do that if I were you. I said, why? He says, Joe, because, Joe, I'm not, you know, I'm not trying to be mean, but Joe, you're a good kid, but you're not college material. Because I heard that a lot. And I said, well, sir, I know that, but I'm looking at my friends and they're not college material, but they're going to college. He said, yeah, Joe, and I get that too, but your problem's a little bit more serious than your friends. And here's the moment. Mm. I said, what's my problem? He said, Joe, I saw your SAT scores. I'm like, yeah. He said, Joe, your scores are so low, they won't let you drive by college. Wow. That got me. That got me. When he said that, because I was a pretty good kid, even though I lived in a bad situation, I never got into trouble. Didn't get never got arrested, didn't do drugs. A lot of my friends sold drugs and did drugs and game bang and all that other stuff. But I was a pretty straight and narrow kid. So I was very respectful. But when that man told me that, I lost all respect for him. Hmm. And I told him, I said, dude, you don't know me. I said, because uh, it's one thing somebody that you don't believe you can do something. But when somebody tell you that you won't do it and that you can't do it, it's like something in you jumps up that like you said, that enough is enough. I'm like, you know what? I'm going to show you. And so I decided that I was going to prove him wrong. Now, the funny thing about it is that I started applying to colleges and I got turned down by at least 30 colleges <laughs> because of my SAT scores. However, but what he didn't tell me and I didn't know until I got accepted 
was that community colleges they'll accept anybody mm -hmm. <laughs> right just so, pay that just write that check <laughs> that's right so <laughs> i got accepted into a community college and they gave me a chance and i signed up for 17 credits because i was crazy because that's too many credits to sign up for as an incoming Indeed. freshman yeah but i signed because nobody told me that was too many mm. and no one in my family going to college so i didn't know so i signed up for 17 credits and while they checked this out that first semester in college 4.0 good for you man First time I, now only time I ever made A's in school before was in PE. But out of sheer determination and sheer anger to prove this man wrong, like you said, enough is enough. Nobody's calling me stupid ever again. Nobody's going to think I'm not smart enough ever again. And I got a 4.0. Now, funny thing, I never got a 4.0 after that. <laughs> but mm -hmm. I did go on to graduate early uh, from college at the age of 20, top of my university class. And I was voted student of the year out of 10,000 students on my campus. And I was the only African-American male in all of my classes. Man. So I turned that enough, enough moment into something that, that fueled me to show this man that I could do it. And I only needed that motivation for that first semester because I stopped thinking about him after that first term. I'm like, okay, I'm good. I can do this now. So I had the confidence to keep going. Yeah. And you know, exactly. That's a very good point that you said right there is that so many people are looking for the confidence. They have it backwards. They're looking for the confidence to do something new. But once you get into it and start realizing that you can get good at it, then the confidence comes. Then but, the confidence comes. Yeah, exactly. That's a whole different, that's a whole, another whole different conversation that I love. I'm glad I just wanted to point that out guys, because got to take that action again. Action is what is the cure for fear. And from action is when you gain the confidence. Um, but right. you know, the, the 30, the 30, um, declines, uh, to colleges could have stopped you right there. It would have stopped most people. Five would have stopped most people. Yeah. Um, but that just shows the person that you are and the dedication that you had and your enough is enough. And, and basically, you know, using that energy and showing the guy, and everybody else for that matter, because I'm sure there were others that told you similar uh, stories about yourself. And guys, as soon as you believe somebody else's opinion of you, you've lost mm -hmm. right off the bat. Man, that's that's amazing. Absolutely amazing. And, I'm, and th again, thanks for sharing that, man. So let's get into a little bit about what you got going on now, because I'm reading this. So many things that you've got going on, but we, we can't touch on everything. But I love this idea, gifts and handkerchiefs. A lesson in servant leadership. Where did that come from? Where did that title come from? And how does that, that all come about? And we're also going to get into, of course, Real Men Connect, because I 100% agree. Well, the gifts and handkerchief um, idea came, and I, I decided to put that into a book, is because I used to do this illustration. It actually came from the Bible. and But people don't recognize it when I tell the story until I get to the end of the story. And it's oh, that's right. It was what Jesus did with the disciples. It was basically... Um, it was inspired because Jesus said the greatest among you must be your um, the greatest among you must be the least among you, but be your greatest servant. And so he said he came to serve, not to be served. And so most of us want to be leaders. Most of us want to be um, in charge. Most of us want to be the person at the top of the totem pole, but not realizing that with that comes the responsibility that you must be a servant. And so with gifts and handkerchiefs, I did this illustration and I used a handkerchief as the metaphor. And I said the handkerchief represents your unique talent, skills, gifts, and abilities. So if you can imagine a small square handkerchief that you may put in your pocket square or that kind of thing. And I, I illustrate it, Wally, when I'm actually speaking. So it, it, it's very dramatic when I'm doing it. And it's, and it's very funny because I take them through the scenarios of what we do with our handkerchief when we're born. We get it, and then we try to learn, like you said, from other people's opinions of us. 
watching the media, looking around us and say, okay, what should I do with this handkerchief? And I say, we all have some choices. Some of us blow our nose in it, which I tell people, if you're doing that, these are people who are abusing their handkerchief because what you're doing is if you blow your nose and if I blow my nose in my handkerchief, Wally, you do not want me bringing this handkerchief around you. <laughs> I said, hey, you want to borrow this? Wally he said, no, John, I saw what you just did with that. And I said, these are the people with stinking attitudes. So if you see people with bad attitudes, it doesn't mean they're not gifted, Wally. It just means that they've been blowing their nose in their handkerchief. Mm. Understand? Yeah, absolutely. And so it, it works a lot easier when you're seeing me doing yeah, it. Yeah. It makes perfect sense. And then I said, well, some people have bad attitudes. Some people do that. And some people choose not to have bad attitudes, but they'll take their handkerchief and follow me on this, Wally. They will put it over their eyes like a blindfold. Mm-hmm. And when I say they do it as a blindfold, these are the people who underestimate their potential and their ability. Oh, Wally, I could never write a book. Oh, Wally, I could never do a podcast like you're doing. Oh, no, I, I don't have a good I don't have good enough communication skills. I'm not smart enough. These are all the excuses they use because they can't see because they have a blindfold on. They can't see how gifted and talented they really are. Follow me so far? Absolutely. And now Take that same handkerchief if you're not blowing your nose in it with a bad attitude or you're not putting yourself down because you don't think you're good enough. Joe Martin, I'm not smart enough to go to college. That was a blindfold moment. Some people will put it, and if you can imagine this, remember the old Western days when they used to rob banks and or and they put the, um, um, the handkerchief over their nose and their mouth and wrap mm-hmm. it around the back of the head? Yeah, perfect I call disguise. That the bandit. <laughs> right? <laughs> I said some people would choose to use their gifts and their talents to rob others of theirs. Mm, mm. And if you can follow me on this, just think of the average person who goes to work every day and if they don't like their job, do you realize they're wearing that handkerchief as a bandit because they go there and they got their, as, if you can imagine somebody pointing a pretend gun, give me my paycheck. Yeah. <laughs> you know, give me my office, you know, give, me, give me a new office, give me time off. They're demanding and I said, what do you, I said, why do we call them bandits? What do you call people who want stuff without paying for it? Thieves. Mm-hmm. And so some people wear the handkerchief that way. Now, unfortunately, we have people who may, may not do that, but we know a lot of people who do this, Wally. They put it underneath their chin as a bib. So imagine that. And they feel like they're entitled to everything. Do you know people like that? Oh, yeah. <laughs> give me, give me, give me. See, you know what? I would be a better father if I had a better wife. Hmm. You know what? I would be a better parent if you gave me better kids. You know, I would be a better employee if you gave me a better boss. They put the condition I would be if. So they're waiting for somebody to change something before they make a change. And so I call those people the entitlement people. They wear it as a bib. But then I do the dramatic illustration of taking that same handkerchief. I said it wasn't meant to blow your nose with it. It wasn't meant to um, wear as a blindfold. It wasn't meant to wear around your face as as a mask to rob people. And it wasn't meant to wear as a bib. It was meant to go over your forearm. If you imagine while they put your forearm out and like a waiter in a maitre d', and then I say, Wally, how can I serve you? Mm. See, we already we all have a gift and a talent and ability. The question is, how will we choose to utilize it for ourselves or for others? So you mentioned early in the show that we're serving. I said, remember, Martin Luther King said we can all be great because what he's saying is that we've all been given gifts and talents. But the question is, you can be great if you serve, but no one can make you serve. That has to be a conscious, deliberate, intentional choice to do. And that's what gives me passion about what I do because I believe I'm serving every day I get up. So my question to those who are listening to this is, where is your handkerchief? You have one, where are you putting it? So the book that I wrote gives an illustration of a little girl learning this by going to work with her dad. <laughs> for the, for a dad, he takes the daughter to work day. 
and she's watching her dad and the different types of people and what they're doing with their handkerchief. And she keeps asking her dad, what are they doing? And he's explaining this concept to her. Wow. Very cool. Very cool. I absolutely love that. I'm going to get a hold of that book. I'd love for my boys to read that as well. Oh, it's a great book for kids, man. Mm -hmm. Great. Yeah, that's the next book I'm going to be reading to my kid. Dude, fills my heart, man. It really does. I absolutely, it's, I'm glad I asked that question because I did not think it was going to go there. And man, amazing. Absolutely amazing. So real quick, before we uh, get ready to go into the pay it forward round and and, uh, start paying it forward to our abundant leaders, let's talk a little bit about uh, Real Men Connect. Because first off, by the statement, I 100% agree, real men do connect. And what are you doing with that? And how's all that going for you? Well, shoot, I don't think we have enough time in the show to tell you everything about what we're doing with Real Men Connect. But what I will summarize it this way and give you the ESPN version of it, because I'm getting ready to do a mentor training in about a couple of hours. I'm going to be training a group of mentors here in town for a new school that they're building for um, inner city boys. And so I'm going to be working with a group of men, a small group of men. But basically, here's what it is in a nutshell, what Real Men Connect. It says in itself, Real Men Connect. And the problem is we don't connect. And as real men, we suffer because we don't connect. Because if you go into any room, I don't care where you go in in this country, go into any room, Wally, and if there's a group of men in it and you ask them this question, how many want to be successful husbands, successful fathers, successful leaders in your home? How do you want to have a great marriage and be a great steward of your finances? And you you go through a whole list of being successful at anything, being a champion at anything. 100% of men, I've never seen an exception to this, 100% 100% of men will raise their hand and say, yes, Wally, I want to be that. I want to be a successful husband, father. I want a great marriage. I want to have a great life. And then here's the question I ask right after that. 100%. Okay, by a show of hands, how many men in the audience that you had a man in your home who modeled that for you? Mm. Crickets. Right. And typically over – now you're talking about I've been to every state at least twice, four different countries, and I've done that experiment. And Wally, you ready? This is sad. When I've done that and did that that straw poll, do you know less than 10% of men raise their hand? Mm-hmm. That's why I we believe. launched Real Men Connect. Because real men, men have, have not had the connection with men who are older than them, fathers than them. Because I told you, my, fathers, my father abandoned me when I was a kid. So most men did not have that role model, that mentor, that coach to show them how to be a man. Mm-hmm. And what ends up happening is when we didn't have that connection with our father, And if we don't make another connection with another man, it doesn't have to be your biological dad, but it needs to be a connection with another man. It does. And if we don't and if we don't have that connection with another another man, typically what ends up happening is we start um, overcompensating, just surviving. And we're treading water. We're trying to we're, we're imitating and we're trying to pretend as if it doesn't matter. And what we're finding out with the divorce rate over 50 percent is that it does matter. And most men don't set out to fail in life. But what happens is that they're afraid to admit, I didn't know how to be a man. And I'm the poster child for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And and guys, I want to point a few things out to you. It's not just, we're not just talking to, this has nothing to do with um, demographics. This has nothing to do with, um, you know, race or any of that. Right. There's Many of you had guy, men at home, but they were they were not connected. They come home, turn on the tube, drink a beer. They were not literally involved in your life and the other point to that is you know my belief anyway and seeing what looking into some of these recent with a lot of the kids that are going out and even the kids shooting people up and even the bullies at school Mm -hmm. they don't have real men in their lives 
that's one thing that they all can they all have in common they don't have real men in their lives and they don't have these groups of men that they can sit down and call them on their bs and 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 point them in the right direction and give them the encouragement that they need to grow up and be real men that are respectful to women respectful to elders respectful to their teachers and in the school system the school system does not have enough men in the school system we need to start injecting ourselves into the school system, at least as volunteers and being part of many of these programs. My personal belief. Thoughts on that, Joe? Absolutely. And while you just touched on a point, and I just, you know, I, I keep forgetting that I just assume everybody knows who I am and they've been in my audience. But you just said it, that this is not a demographic thing or economic thing. And get prime example. I tell you, every state at least twice, four different countries, 90% of my audience is white. Mm. You hear what I just said? Yeah, yeah. So when I'm asking them that straw poll, that most of my audience is Caucasian. And so this has nothing to do with race or demographics or economic situation. And this also includes the church. Mm -hmm. And so so predominantly my audience is uh, typically white. And um, and so it has nothing to do with race. And what I'm realizing, just what you just said, no matter where you go, if you see a man struggling with something, whether it be in his marriage or something, if you dig down to the root of it, there's a lack of connection with another man who was pouring into his life. Because think about it this way, Wally. You know, we met a lot of men. We met a lot of people. When was the last time you ever heard a man ever in your life say this? You know what, Wally? I have too many great men in my life. I need to cut some of them loose. No one. Ever. I need to get rid of some of them, man. I just, I don't need this many great men in my life. Why do I have so many? I've never heard a man in my whole life ever say that. Which implies that you can never have enough. Mm-hmm. And so my job at Real Men Connect is to make sure no man has to walk alone, that he's going to not only have another man to connect with, but also brothers mm. that he connect with more than one man. And he gets to pick and choose who he wants to do life with. Yeah. And most of us had or have just the opposite. Men that are not real men in our lives, right. you know, wanting to go out, you know, to the strip clubs and wanting to go out to the bar every night and all this other kind of stuff. Um, that's just disruptive to everything that we truly want in our lives uh, as men and, and being successful men. So, Joe, brother, we're at the point where we are going to pay it forward. You ready to do that, man? Sure, I am. Ready yeah. for it. Let's go. Awesome. So share with our abundant leaders one to three actionable steps that they can take today. All right. I would start. The first action step is I would say um, start your day off the right way. And I mean, do something that's going to um, feed your soul. As soon as you start, feed your soul because that is going to give you the fuel to go throughout your entire day. Now, I'll just share with you my personal thing that I do in the morning. My ritual is that I get up at 530 in the morning. No, I'm not even a morning person, Wally. <laughs> I get up in the morning and I have quiet time with God where I get into um, my Bible and I read. But I read intentionally. I, I'm an aggressive reader. And when I say I'm an aggressive reader, I don't just read the Bible or any book passively. What I do is I read a book and I ask myself questions to reflect on. So when I read the Bible, I ask myself five questions every morning based on what I just read. What sin do I need to confess? What promise do I need to claim? What attitude do I need to change in my heart? What command do I need to obey? And what example in this Bible is a great man for me to follow? And so my first bit of advice in paying it forward is that start your day off the right way. And then the second thing I would say, an actionable step is have a right order to things. Now, what I mean by right order, if you show me, I deal with a lot of men. A lot of men's lives are in chaos. 
And I tell them, they said, Joe, they come to me because they want to get their lives in. They want to master life balance. And they want to say, Joe, you do all these things. How do you fit it all in? And you're not losing control of your family and your life. And you still have a life and you have a personal life and all this other stuff. Because I work out regularly. Um, I have a great marriage. I have great kids. Thank God. Um, and I have great friendships and relationships. And they say, Joe, how do you do it? Because I have right order. And what I mean by right order is one that you have to have something bigger than you as the most important thing in your life. To me, is Jesus Christ. He's my Lord and Savior. But I know there's some people who don't believe in that. And that's OK. But you have to have something bigger than you, because if there's not something in your life bigger than you, then guess what? You are it and you are self-made. And I tell people, you show me a self-made man. I show you a man with a creator for a fool. And so you got to have something mm-hmm. bigger than you. And so with me, Christ is first. Number two is my covenant. That's my marriage is second. Now, notice what I say. My marriage is second. I have two kids. They're number three. So that means I make deliberate time with God first. Then I put on my calendar my wife, which is on Fridays. We have a date date every Friday. And I talk to her and we have a a meaningful conversation every night at 9 p.m. That's on my calendar. Then I schedule my kids on my calendar. My son is in college. He meets with me on Sunday nights for dinner. He comes over here for Sunday night for dinner with us. My daughter, a date day on Saturdays with my daughter. Then after my children comes my um, connections. Those are that'll be you while as a friend, um, the guys I hang out with. And these are my relationships. Now, I haven't even mentioned my job yet. That comes number. That's number five, which is real men connect. I love what I do for a living. I tell you, it gets me up and gets me excited. But I'm not getting my life out of order. Relationships come before my calling. And you know what's great about it, Wally, is that when I have that stuff in order, guess what? My job goes a lot easier. Mm-hmm. And here's the third thing that I would say is an actionable step, and we already mentioned it before, is to adopt your own, I'll call it your own anchor or your own um, how can I say, your own motto for living. You heard mine earlier, no excuse. That's what people know me for. When people see you, there should be a phrase they know you for. I t- you asked me how would they describe me It's passionate. What is the model that Joe Martin lives by? No excuses. Everybody has to have something that they live by. I'll tell you, my wife, is, um, she owns a fitness business. We run a fitness studio. And my wife's motto is that, um, she, that she's known for is nickel and dimes. And people say, what does nickel and dimes mean? She believes that the little things matter. So if you handle, if you be faithful in the little things, the big things will take care of themselves. So she always says nickel and dimes nickel and dimes but me no excuses so get your own model and live by that that's how i would pay it for wonderful absolutely amazing you mentioned a few of your habits already but what other habits make the biggest impact in your life joe i would say it's a a quote that i give to my students on the last day of class this one i was teaching full time and i would give them a quote of the day every day in class but the last quote of the day they all would be on the edge of their seats because they're thinking if this dude's been giving us quotes every day he must be saving the best for last and they're absolutely right. So this, I would say, make the biggest difference in my life and probably will be put on my tombstone under no excuse. <laughs> and mm-hmm. this is my mom. I actually stole this from Napoleon Hill. He said, if you want to be successful at anything, it is very easy. Watch what most people would do in a given situation and do the total opposite. Mm. I love that. Probably, I, I love it. I do too. Watch do too. what most people would do in a given situation and go in the opposite direction. <laughs> yeah. And they and people say, and I tell me it's kind of scary because nine times out of ten you're going to be more successful than the average person. And one of my students asked me one day, he said, "Well, Professor Martin, what about that ten time?" I said, "Well, you're going to prison, but it's worth the risk." Now, I like my ninety <laughs> percent chance of success. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. I dig that, man. 
So what are you reading or listening to that you would recommend to our abundant leaders and why? Well, um, the book that I'm reading right now, um, I would recommend it. I don't know if they actually would read it. <laughs> and it's called Humility. Humility. And I'm trying to remember the author's name. Mahaney. I can't remember Mahaney's first name, but he spells his last name M-A-H-A-N-E-Y. And it's called about it's about true um, greatness. Humility in the subtitle is true greatness. This book is just blowing my mind because it's getting me to look at it from a servant mentality of being humble. That if you really want greatness, you have to be humble. And no one who ever has achieved um, greatness is ever going to be a person who is going to be looking down on people. And I say I would recommend it, but I don't know if they want to read it because it's not going to give you um, how to become, you know, make a million dollars or how to start a business. It's going to teach you about looking at your attitude and your posture and how you respond to people. And so that's a book that I'm, I'm actually reading it twice now. That's how good it is. Yeah. Yeah, I dig that. Those are the type of books I like to get into. Joe, what do you feel holds most people back from living a life of true abundance? Um, I think you said it earlier. Um, they let other people define who they are. They define themselves by other people's opinions, by what they do as opposed to who they are. And I will use me as a personal example that um, when people always ask me when I'm on a plane and I'll be on a plane tomorrow, they'll ask me, what do I do? And so they're defining me based on my profession, but that's not who I am. I'm not what I do for a living. I'm, I'm who I am defined about who created me. And so my identity is found in who, what God calls me. So I think what's holding people back is that they let others define them. They let their friends define them. They let other people's opinions define them. They even let their professions and their bank accounts in their homes and their possessions and all this other stuff define who they are. That's not who you are. And so mm -hmm. I think that's what holds people back. Absolutely. Excellent. Excellent answer. So what does living a life of abundance mean to you, Joe? It goes back to what I said about what I'm grateful for. Living a life of abundance is that when you're when, when you finally die, that you've left a legacy that people will remember, um, even if they never met you before. They'll be talking about um, what kind of person that you was and that you were a servant. I love the way Martin Luther King said it when they interviewed him before he was assassinated. They asked him, how do you want to be remembered? They said, do you want to be remembered for winning the Nobel Peace Prize, for getting legislation passed? Do you want to get remembered for um, being a pastor of a church? And Martin Luther King said something that I thought was so profound. And to me, this is the abundant life. He says that, no, when I die, I only want them to put on my tombstone. He helped somebody. Mm. And that talking about the understatement of the, <laughs> of the century. <laughs> you think? Yeah. You know, and so that's what to me, that's true abundance when you have lived your life in such a way that when people hear about you, they say he helped somebody. Think about this. We think of um, the top of any profession. We think, let's look at Michael Jordan as being the top of his profession. My thing is, what will they remember most about Michael Jordan? The fact that they said that he was the greatest basketball player on the planet. I don't want to be remembered for that. I don't want to be remembered for what I did. I want to be remembered for what I did for other people. Does that make sense, Wally? Yeah, absolutely. It does to me. And so I want to be that. So I'm sure if you interview Michael, he will tell you, I don't want to be remembered for being the greatest basketball player on the planet. <laughs> you know, because that that was great for you. But what did it do for other people? Now, I may have inspired them to become basketball players, but I'm five foot nothing and a hundred and nothing. Mm -hmm. But I want and, and last time I checked, even Martin Luther King was under six feet tall. But I want to be remembered for what I did for other people. To me, that's the abundant life, leaving a legacy. Yeah. 
Absolutely. And that's the difference in moving from success to significance and yeah. what I refer to as living an abundant lifestyle and living yes. a life of abundance. Absolutely. Great answer. So what did we not talk about that you want to ensure that our abundant leaders get out of, get out of our conversation today, Joe? Um, how to contact me. <laughs> Excellent. Share it. Because that was the next because, question. Yeah, because I, I would say that because um, I, I work with a lot of people and I make myself highly accessible, even though people think, am I abusing this time? No, I have a, a framework that I work in. But um, I'm highly responsive to people who are reaching out to me because, remember, I run an uh, organization called Real Men Connect. So what kind of man would I be if I didn't connect with you? <laughs> so right. so we're easy. It's easy to reach out to me and connect with me. All I have to do is go to realmenconnect.com and all of my contact information from social media and everything is through that. And any link you click on that says how to contact me, I will personally respond back to you. So go to realmenconnect.com. Yeah. And and guys, this this website, realmenconnect.com. Absolutely beautiful website, easy to navigate. You get to see Joe. He's an amazing looking dude uh, for sure. And, <laughs> and until you told me you was almost 50, you're right there with, I'll be 48 this year, no, 49 this year in May. Um, you definitely look younger than I do, and and that's that uh, that that blessing of the dark skin, man. I, I just gotta no, say, no, that's it. been work. That's been working in education for years. You're right, if you're around enough young people long enough, you start looking like them. Is that what it is? <laughs> Damn, I'm in the wrong profession, man. <laughs> that's what I need to do. Then. Yeah, hey, and man. the melatonin doesn't hurt either, though. The melatonin doesn't hurt. No, the, I'm <laughs> telling you, man, because everybody I, I've met guys that are 60, and I'm like, wait a minute, you don't look a day over 40, man. What the hell? Hey, come on, I, I, I've been robbed. Anyway. Man, I love it. I love it. Great website, great stuff, lots of information. All your books are up there, videos. Uh, I'm going to watch this one, wife, children, colleagues. Uh, great stuff. I, I just eat this stuff up, man. But, guys, go check it out, realmenconnect.com. Get connected with Joe. Uh, look, guys, absolutely. Whether you connect with Joe, you connect with me, get into some sort of a mastermind group. Get into yes. some sort of group yes. in your church. Get into a group in your community. And if there's not one out there, guys, create one. It's not Absolutely. that difficult. Get with me. Get with Joe. We'll tell you how to do it. It's Absolutely. easy. And it's so, so needed. We need this in our community so bad right now. I, I just, I'm, I'm pleading with you. Get in, get involved in your community and get out there um, and connect with other guys. Joe, this has been an amazing conversation as I knew it would be, brother. And uh, I just want you to go out there, live your life of abundance, and keep paying it forward, man. Thank you, Wally. Thanks for having me on the show. I appreciate it, brother. My pleasure. Aloha. Man, that was a fun conversation. I hope you really enjoyed that. And I truly hope that you're comfortable in sharing Men of Abundance, specifically this episode, with other men in your community and the men that you come in contact with on a daily basis. Now, go out and live your life of abundance and make sure to pay it forward. That's all for today, Abundance Leaders. For more about our guests and the powerful information we shared with you today, be sure to sign up for our mailing list at menofabundance.com. We appreciate your time and look forward to hanging out with you on our next episode. So until then, be sure to pay it forward and live your life of abundance.